start the week with Tim and Damo on the Unmade Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Damien Francis. And I'm Tim Burrows. Today, Tourism Australia's most mysterious sacking finally explained. Is Nine really winning the ratings? And what we learned from results season. Well, morning, Tim. Big, uh, big weekend for you. Uh, you have been uh, up north. How, how was that? Oh, look, it was fantastic, actually. Yes, I feel like I've done a lot of kilometres. I'm back in Tasmania now, but uh, yes, I spent the weekend at the Byron Writers Festival, where I just felt like a massive imposter for most <laughs> of it. Cause there are all of these proper authors proper and authors. proper writers and famous people um which of course you 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 get the wonderful ego check when after each session you know they ask all of the the writers on uh, who've been on stage and I, I and I was on stage because of the publication of my book last year media own made but they ask you then to go to the signing tent and of course um you know, there are a number of stages running at once. So, uh, you know, I kind of at one point found myself sort of uh, with 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 nobody in a queue in front of me while there was this line stretching back for Bruce Pascoe. So um, there were lots of proper grown-ups there. Um, but, hey, you know, met a few journalistic heroes. Peter Grester was there, for instance. Um yeah, um, you know, shared a stage with Van Baden from The Guardian for one of them, amongst others. Um, so, yeah, one of uh, one w- one of the most, I suppose, exciting weeks of my book career. Um, so, yeah, and wonderful that you know, book festivals are back. So, is that uh, inspired a follow up then? Oh, good lord! <laughs> uh, we'll put it this way. I, I, is it's the most fun thing I've done involving the publication of the book. So I'm definitely more likely to do another as a result, but there's still a lot of pain involved in writing a book. So I was going to say, I don't really know how to take that as a positive or negative, but um, <laughs> okay. If you're more likely to, to do a follow up because of that, that's a good thing. <laughs> look, it is. Anyway, how was your weekend? Hey, look, uh, any weekend for, for me and, and my family that doesn't involve uh, ER is is great, and it didn't, so happy days. Formula One was back, even happier days, uh, but I've just realised uh, with all this rain, and we had a little bit more last week, that I don't think my, my swamp of a backyard will clear for the rest of the year, and the news over the weekend is that uh, there's a now 70% chance of La Nina ter- returning for summer. So happy days in that regards, but uh, nothing. I, I certainly wasn't at a, a writers' festival in Byron Bay, but I was happy enough with uh, the exploits of the weekend. Ah, that's all one can ask. Now, where do we start this week? Yeah, that's a, a good question, Tim. How about uh, look? We're still in the throes of, of result season, or coming towards the end of it anyway. Particularly in the media and marketing space, so. Why don't we turn to that? Because also you wrote uh, Best of the Week based on uh, some very key results out of results uh, season uh, so far. I'm sure you've come up with some uh, some themes from that. Yeah, so technically, I suppose results season is still going on in the wider ASX. But as you say, in the eight or nine stocks that we follow with the Unmade Index, which are the 
media and marketing companies uh, listed. I think we're there with all of them now. So there were there were there were three in the week just gone. There was um, O Media, which was doing its half year results, so we won't focus quite so much on that one. Uh, and then we had the results of uh, Nine and of Southern Cross Stereo. Um, and I suppose something I found myself certainly I, I touched on a bit when writing um, uh, Best of the Week for Saturday and I found myself just thinking about a bit more is one of those big themes is mergers because we've we've seen, I suppose, within the media market world, three big mergers really over the last decade. Um, we saw um, way way back, you know, a decade ago, um, Kerry Stokes um, create what's now Seven West Media by bringing together his um, majority holding of the West Australian newspaper um, and, you know, the, the, the other papers sort of in that group with um, Seven, the TV network, to create Seven West Media. So that that's one story where I guess we can have a bit of a verdict on the last decade. We also saw a decade ago uh, Southern Cross Media and Osterio come together. And, of course, back in 2018, we saw Nine and Fairfax come together. And, you know, we often use the word merger, but usually culturally there's one taking over the other. Uh, and that was certainly the case in the Nine one. Um, so it's a chance to kind of actually look at a bit of a data set so that was that was something i did with with seven west media um a couple of weeks back when their results came and if you go back to 2012 uh seven west's revenue at the time was almost not quite but almost two billion dollars a year um and its profit was just around half a billion dollars a year which is no you know nothing to be sniffed at at all back then um but one of the really fascinating things about seven west media is every year from 2012 to 2019 the revenue declined and the profit declined and it's really only when you see that repeated line which which obviously is a big story about you know the the story of broadcast television being past its peak as the uh the, the rise of the digital platforms came along and the money flowed in that direction um but then we got to uh the financial year 2020 which of course was the year where the the advertising tap got turned off for that last quarter of the 2020 financial year so april through to uh, the end of june 2020 when Seven's profits hit an absolute low of not much more than 110 million and revenue fell to not much more than um, uh, 1.2 billion. So, you know, that that was the low point. And then two years of growth from um, uh, from from then onwards. So, so you know, no, nowhere near back to the glories, but in the financial year just gone for seven. Um, profit was just over 330 million and revenue was um, just over 1.5 billion, one and a half billion. So some way off that peak. But um, yeah, it's really, it's it, it, it's hard to draw conclusions just on that one because of course there was so much else going on. But 
you know, people often say that mergers kind of destroy value. Um, and certainly you don't see any evidence in that particular table suggesting that value had been created, um, which then sort of brings you on to the, the two that was reported in the, in the week just gone, which, um, which I looked at as well. Um, Sorry, let, let, me, let me quote you from Best of the Week. Uh, which was on nine, one of those uh, which reported, I can't think of an occasion over the last 15 years when I've reported on a better set of growth numbers for an Australian media company. That's a pretty massive statement uh, that you've made about nine's results. And speaking of graphs, there's a, a great one in there in Best of the Week, which everyone should take a look at, which very clearly points out uh, both revenue and profit increases uh, since 2020. Yeah, and it's worth making the point that because the nine merger um, happened uh, in 2018, so that was when uh, Fairfax became part of the, the the business, and it was it was sort of contained under nine's listing. So um, it is it, it's very hard to you know, compare prior to then. Um, so there were um uh, sort of consolidated data provided at the time so you can sort of see how the two companies did in 2018 financial year and then 2019 which was the year during which they came together and you know back then they were doing about you know 2.3 billion a year in revenue and you know a little bit over 1 billion a year in profitability um so we were very much looking towards 2020 for the first year as a, a full year as a merged entity when we could really find out how it was doing. And then, of course, along came COVID <laughs> and, uh, and well. we couldn't, you know, so, you, you you know, it's very hard to tell the underlying story. Um, uh, but, you know, that so that again told a story of revenue actually falling a bit and profit falling a bit. Um, 2021, of course even that wasn't that normal really because you you're getting revenue bouncing back there was also a lot of um for the industry uh for the tv industry you know there were there were changes in in timing of some of the sports and that changed some of the ch- the, the charges um some of the companies were still taking jobkeeper money although if i remember rightly nine actually gave its jobkeeper money for 2021 back but anyway we saw you know we saw actually revenue sort of blip upwards to pretty much where it had been at the time of the merger so bit over 2.2 um billion dollars and profit really begin to go up so a little little above 550 million um so really starting to kind of tell a story but a covid story and then finally we got to 2022 uh financial year just gone where covid certainly in terms of uh media dynamics began to be in the rear view mirror and wow, you know, nine shot the lights out. So um, profit rose well above um, three quarters of a billion dollars and um, uh, revenue above 2.4 billion. Um, in fact, actually above 2.6 billion. So um, all of a sudden, that looks like the merger that worked. Now, I want to pull out one point from that analysis that you did, 
Because it's all very positive stuff. And if you looked at some of the headlines last week across the different trade, there was some uh, very positive notes about Stan as well. But you had a slightly different take on that when you looked at some different numbers. Yeah, look, drilling down into Stan, look, one of my, I suppose, gripes is we don't get a great deal of transparency about stand numbers compared to one or two of the other competitors, uh, which was a point I, 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 I got a few minutes on the on, on the day the results were announced. Um, had a was able to have you know as a number of the media were a conference call with uh, Michael Sneesby and with um, uh, Michael Stevenson, um, the um, head of uh, sales for Nine. Um, and one of the questions I asked was, would there be a bit more transparency in the future which uh sneesby was was arguing he's broadly happy with the level they give at the moment so one of the headlines there was that um uh, the number of subscribers active subscribers for stan 2.5 million um now what they don't break out is how many are actually paying versus on free trial now in fairness because most people get a month-long free trial and then they either convert or they don't. So that, you know, I imagine most of those 2.5 million are real, but um, it's broken down by, you know, by the likes of, you know, Netflix or Foxtel Group, for instance, isn't by nine. Um, and the other thing that's that was perhaps a, a little bit hidden away was um, revenue grew faster for Stan than its number of subscribers did because it started charging more, Stan Sport came along at a higher price. Um, so I think most people missed the point that firstly, the actual headline number went up only from 2.4 to 2.5, and that's in the space of a year. Um, and of course, other people we're seeing publishing a quarterly number. So I've actually got a bit of a hunch that at some point during the year, it actually rose above um, 2.5 and has since fallen back a bit so I guess we'll get to find we're going to have to wait probably um, you know maybe six months maybe a year to actually find out that new number on that so 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 yeah so so it, it, it certainly leaves me asking the question has has Stan's reach in terms of the number of customers actually peaked i'm sure it can drive some more profit and some more revenue as it begins to charge more but yeah i've got a feeling we we maybe know roughly how many customers it's going to end up with so tim one of the other interesting aspects of uh the profits from the last financial year was of course the input of big tech particularly google and facebook how has that sort of panned out well, again, there are a lot of winds all blowing in the right direction for nine. And another one was that Google Facebook money, which we have talked about before. Uh, and we, we begin to see that impact. So um, in that sort of segment of digital subscription and licensing, which I think would be when we call licensing, that was that was where the kind of the faux deals were done with um, Facebook and Google, you know, Google News, the Google News Showcase, for instance, which was the polite way of, you know, paying the the kind of the the the, the hidden tax that the ACCC was imposing. Um, so that was a really big jump up to um, nearly 180 million. So that was a jump of 53% or $68 million. So I think that's where we can get that money from. Um, so um, thank you, ScoMo. <laughs> 
Let's uh, turn quickly to the other business that reported last week. That, of course, is Southern Cross Stereo. Uh, not as rosy as the nine numbers by quite some margin, Tim. Yeah, look, I uh, and again, it's one of those companies you you really only realise the issues it faces when you, you know, as uh, as I did, and you can see it in the analysis, drawing up a graph of the last ten years since the merger. Um, several years in a row of decline of both revenue and profits um you know and and you know we 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 kind of you know started up at being a company that was bringing in um nearly 700 million dollars a year in revenue and was uh was was delivering a profit of about 220 million and then we got to uh the year just gone out of covid and um the revenue for the company was only about 160 uh, million, and a profit of only about 75 or 80 million. So, a much smaller business. Now, a couple of factors in there. One of which is having switched affiliations across from most of the um, Southern Cross Stereo regional TV stations being affiliated to nine going back to 10 that delivers less ratings and that delivers in turn less advertising revenue but profit wasn't too badly hit there because um, the percentage it was having to pay was a little bit less Um, so I think this year's numbers were really, although they 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 looked particularly poor, were partly because last year's numbers included a lot of JobKeeper money, so they 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 looked artificially high. And you know, if you're going to look for a bright spot, it's that for the for the for the company, the sales team is outperforming its ratings. They're bringing in a higher um, share of revenue than the um, TV stations are delivering in terms of audience. So, just to wrap up uh, on the results, wh- where does SCA go from here, Tim? What, what next? Look, the the strong signal is they're going to manage um, the TV stations. You know, they didn't use the word decline, but obviously it's a declining asset, but a profitable one. So they're going to squeeze as much profit out for as long as they can. But the problem being, you know, the the, the digital dollars for that all flow to um, the um, uh, to, to to ten through ten play. They don't get a slice of that, so um, that's not very exciting around television. But you know, they prefer to sell it, but they don't seem to have found a buyer at the right price. They're going to have to start talking soon to 10 about renewing the affiliate deal because we're, you know, less than a year until it renews now. Um, but all of the excitement is around the um, digital streaming space, listener. Um, so we've already had a signal from Grant Blackley that one of the conversations he'll be looking to have in the annual kind of strategy meeting, which happens each October, is could listener be taking taken international? So, so I think yeah, for 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 growth at um, Southern Cross Stereo, it's all about digital audio. Coming up next, solving the ScoMo mystery. Unmade. Scott Morrison has been in the headlines yet again. Of course, he's been in them for quite some time since uh, stepping aside from being our Prime Minister 
after it was revealed that he was uh, self-appointed to five secret ministries. Uh, But now it's been revealed that there was some very interesting aspects of why he was ousted from Tourism Australia in an article by John Fain from the Sunday Age. Tim, uh, what did you make of this? Well, look, credit to John Fain because he finally, after a long mystery, got the uh, Minister for Tourism at the time, Fran Bailey, to go on the record. Now, um, I, uh, I, I one of the people I thought of uh, when I read this article was my former colleague at Mumbrella, Simon Canning, who'd been um, a long-time reporter on that space, including with The Australian and with Adbrief. And he often would talk about how there was always something going on and that, you know, the, the industry had never got to the bottom of it. Well, we've got a bit further now. So, so Tourism Australia, effectively the marketing body of Australia, where Scotty for marketing got his nickname on. He was the managing director, managing director at the time of that, I guess, infamous where the bloody hell are you campaign, which Kevin Rudd later described as a rolled gold disaster, but you know the one that brought us uh, Lara Worthington, I suppose. Um, and we now know a bit more. Fran Bailey sacked Scott Morrison because she didn't trust him. That was her power as a minister so to to sack the managing director. Now. The mystery is still not completely solved because there's just a little reference in this article about the fact that Morrison would refuse to share with his colleagues, including her, the decision making in him choosing MNC Saatchi as the agency behind it. Uh, and there's often been speculation about that, which I'm not going to go into here. Um, but um, that that feels like the final mystery yet to be unlocked. But we do now know uh, one of the great marketing industry mysteries has uh, at least uh, partly been solved. So here's a question for you, Tim, uh, for the greater good of the Australian media and advertising market. Do you think those sorts of, um, uh, I guess, bits of information should be made public, particularly because I guess, hey, Tourism Australia uh, represents Australia as a whole? Yeah, look, and there's been some, it's been been interesting watching the reaction to this story, um, particularly on social media over the weekend, where, you know, one or two former politicians have said, well, why, you know, have made the point, why couldn't she have gone public sooner? And then others have, have swung back and said, you know, why, why is it always... Uh, you you end up criticising women for failing to do something about the misbehaviour of the men, um, which 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 I think is a fair point. There's certainly been a number of people who have gone up against um, Scott Morrison over the years, women who have have, have suffered kind of career detriment as a result. Um, so yeah, look, I mean it. it you, you can't help but wonder if more had come out at the time. Um, would Scott Morrison have been the Prime Minister? And then I guess that is something we'll never know. Uh, and so rounding this one off, look, he's not commented uh, on uh, the report or the the comments uh, that, that were made by Fran Bailey. Uh, it was, uh, it's understood that he's, he reached a settlement in, lo- in leaving Tourism Australia. If you were advising Scott Morrison, Tim, should he be making some sort of statement uh, about this? Should he be clearing 
the air? Is there anything to gain from that at this stage? It was a long time ago. Hmm. I um, I'm trying to think of any plausible circumstances in which I would choose to advise Scott Morrison. Um, <laughs> that was probably the bigger question. Oh <laughs> uh, gosh, look, I, I, I guess you know, he his reputation has been shredded in week recent weeks, hasn't it? You know, and it's gone beyond, yeah. you know, that sort of. Clearly, there was always polarization about people who voted for him and, and and didn't. But the the whole secret ministries thing has, you know, the you know the the kind of the 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 noise around that has probably done more damage to his reputation. The fact that we're going to see, um, you know, a judge led inquiry into that suggests that's going to go some more. So, look, my uh, my suspicion is that rightly or wrongly. Um, the Tourism Australia thing will we'll get lost in the noise of that. Coming up next, The Week in Television. Unmade. All right, Tim, there's a lot to talk about in television across a number of different topics. So I, I think the best way to step into this one would be having a look at the ratings from last week. Uh, was there anything in particular that, that stood out for you there? There seemed to be the usual tussle of the, the two at the front who we expect and then the the straggler, if you will. Yeah, the top two being nine and seven and the straggler being ten, um, particularly in total people. Um, uh, well, actually, in fairness, total people and 2554, which is the key advertising demographic, a really good week for nine now in part driven by nrl in part driven by the block which has gone very well so um it's interesting once we actually drill into primary channel share as opposed to sort of share across the whole network um when you look at um that key battleground of 2554 um nine one every night but one monday night was actually surprisingly enough one by ten so um you know that 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 that's still rare relatively rare um the mass singer has been has 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 gone quite well for 10. It was uh, the last night of that last night. So I uh, I did find myself watching a little bit of The Masked Singer last night, actually, as, uh, you know, the kind of the final uh, the final reveals happened. But um, if you look at uh, overall audience, which I suppose is the most culturally important thing to Australia, then the entertainment show that was the most watched over the last week was um, last Sunday's episode of The Block, which um, did 911 million, <laughs> 911,000. That's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, so I was going to say, let's let's go with 911,000 Metro for, for nine. Sure. And obviously that grows to, to national and catch-up viewing as well. So, um, so yeah, look, we're def- uh, on, most, uh, on, 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 on most measures, we're going to definitely give the week to nine. Yeah, look, maybe I was a, a little bit harsh in, in terms of calling Tim the, the struggle. It wasn't the worst week for for them, but, uh, you know, let, let's talk about those 25 to 54s. Again, like you say, Monday, a win, second on, on, on Tuesday, uh, close to second uh, on Thursday, you know. Wasn't it, it, it? We've seen worse weeks for sure. But uh, moving on to a, a, a story about sport, of which we've been talking about quite a lot recently, particularly with the AFL, and this one is another ball game, but a, a rounder ball. 
uh, we've heard uh, talk of uh, the Matildas uh, World Cup matches uh, being broadcast uh, now on free to air. Uh, How has that been playing out, Tim? Look, this, this, this is one that's being reported in the Sydney Morning Herald this morning that um, Optus will probably sell on the free-to-air rights for the Matilda games to Seven West Media. This is in the FIFA Women's World Cup, which actually is being played in Australia next year. Now, it's worth noting um, that's actually not protected by the anti-siphoning rules because, mm. you know, they were, they were written, um, you know, a long time ago and one of the things they you know they hadn't predicted was was how much more mainstream the women's version of the game would go uh which um which has been fascinating to watch so um in um the 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 euro version of 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 uh, of that sport um a few months back in in the uk it was absolute massively mainstream you know England won the Women's World Cup and it became an absolute ratings blockbuster you know it was it was broadly as 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 big as the men's game had been so if we have the same cultural effect in Australia um then this could be much bigger for ratings than anybody thinks and of course it's a you know it's a it's another example of the you know the weakness of the anti-siphoning law as it exists at the moment that it's it's not protected um but that said um optus clearly understands that the potential for uh backlash if it didn't make it available to a free-to-air partner is not is not worth the battle so um yeah the sydney morning herald today is suggesting that seven is quite close to close to having that deal a smart move by Optus. Staying on sport uh, quickly, Zoe Samios in the Sydney Morning Herald and James Madden in the Australian, both covering off the fact that uh, Michelle Rowland has stepped into the conversations uh, ever so briefly around uh, the AFL rights. Yeah, look, we're, we're definitely into the reading the tea leaves stage of the AFL deal now. Uh, one of which is the 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 kind of intercession of Michelle Rowland seems to be or was perceived as a nudge that she was going to look to protect um, uh, games being remaining on free to air in home states at the very least for AFL, um, which appeared to be a nod towards, uh, you know, Foxtel's bidding to get those rights. Um, Some are taking it as a signal that, Seven is even more in the box seat than last time we said it was in the box seat. Um, more of the reading the runes is that the the, the deal might be done as early as Tuesday. Um, which <laughs> Have I heard I, that I, one before? Yeah, look, I think this time last week we were saying it could be done as early as today, being last Monday, <laughs> which is starting to remind me. It's a bit like I have a joke with a friend that whenever we talk about uh, Tasmania getting an AFL team, it's always it's closer than ever. And I suppose that's all we can say about the AFL, which is, which is a really important deal. You know, it will reshape the um, TV landscape um whichever way it goes um but particularly if it's a if it's a change from the you know the the, the current alignment of of Severn and Foxtel so you know it does matter but um it does feel like every week we say that the uh, the, the announcement is nearer than ever and you know how these things go. Now that we've made that joke, we're going to stop recording. There will be a press release in, in our inboxes <laughs> announcing the deal. Well, this is the Anyhow. nature. Look, time, t- time is linear. So, of course, the deal is nearer. 
I love that. Let's lead with that next week. Uh, now, there's been a few queries a- around ratings as well, so we should probably talk about that. Uh, the Australian uh, covering of uh, queries about Nine's ratings lead. Yeah, look, so this the, 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 this is Pace in the Oz this morning, um, questioning the claim of Mike Sneesby that the network is winning this year's ratings um, with official survey figures showing Rival 7 is in front. So these are the usual debates, is we have the so-called official Austin ratings year, which is, you know, they, they, they publish a calendar each year of which 40 weeks of the 52 or sometimes 53 weeks, depending how the calendar is sliced, are the official ratings year, because, you know, during the summer months, viewing patterns change so much and there are the summer sports and all of those things sometimes we slice out things like the olympics or sometimes the commonwealth games uh and then you also get the randomness of um do you just measure for all people or do you measure for the key advertising demographic of 2554 so this is what the squabbling is about um and generally what it really means is seven winning all people and nine winning twenty five fifty four, and then we're arguing around, you know, some version of that, and that's pretty much the argument that's going on right now. Um, look, I think what's what's absolutely uncontroversial though is that um, nine at this stage is fairly comfortable ahead in twenty five fifty four, which I suppose for the for the advertisers is what matters. So it depends whether you're looking at it through a commercial lens lens or through a uh, cultural lens. Now, of course, they're still looking for more viewers, though. That's not just nine. That's the, the group of them uh, because there's been a, a bit of an outcry for missing viewers uh, in the Oztam ratings, particularly in the, the southern Sydney area, Tim. Yeah, this is a slightly weird one, or at least quirky. This has come up in the media diary today in the Australian, suggesting that there may have been some misclassification of audience um, in on, on, on the borders. So we've always had this thing that um, you've got, um, you know, sort of just, just, just south of Sydney, you've obviously got Wollongong. Um, and... There is just this question of people down in that direction. Are they being, are some of the listeners being effectively given to win um, rather than nine? Um, so it might sort itself out. Look, my, my guess is that in the scheme of things, it's going to be a slight blip rather than something that's going to, you know, massively change the overall numbers. But, but yeah, we'll see. Coming up next. The cat reveals his plan. Unmade. An exclusive in the Australian over the weekend uh, entitled The Billionaire and the Ex-Journo Plot a Path to Property Riches. A few more details coming out uh, about the business from Alex Wastelitz and Anthony Catalano, viewer media group. Some interesting new tidbits there, Tim, that we didn't know before. Yeah, this is a really interesting one. And we you know, generally, when we talk about Anthony Catalano, the cat, he's the high profile one. What we generally mean is Anthony Catalano and Alex Wastelist, who's his business partner, um, who's less high profile. Um, and 
for once in this in this particular piece they've both spoken to the australian um now catalano's first fortune was was built through real estate in melbourne going head to head with fairfax before um selling his kind of property business to fairfax and then taking control of domain and take it, help, helping Fairfax take it all the way to to a float back in, I think it was 2017, if I remember rightly, which was sooner than he wanted and contributed to the tensions sort of between him and um, the, the, the chairman at the time, Nick Falloon, um, and sort of getting him to move on. But then after the merger between Fairfax and Nine, um, uh, the, the Nine didn't really have a... a a use for the regional newspaper arm, uh, what became Australian Community Media. So it agreed to sell it to the cat and to Wastelist. Now, what's fascinating here, and I think people who have been watching have always had a vague feeling, was what was great in the deal for um, the cat and co was it came with a bunch of property interests because, of course, you know, these were newspapers that often had kind of, you know, high street addresses in, in, in towns around Australia, sometimes quite some, some, some print facilities as well, which again was on, you know, was on decent chunks of land, etc. Um, but of course, um, newspapers are also a hard business. So one of the fascinating things is they came very close to not being able to pay the bills. They reveal for the first time in this that at one point their board was meeting three times a day to talk about cash flow. Now, what they very carefully point out is that they were ready to put more money into the business if they had to. So in other words, um, it's unstated, but that was clearly a way of a nod towards they were not trading insolvent because they, 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 they had a way around but then, of course, um, along came um, COVID, and in some ways, that was good for that sort of business in in pure commercial terms because um, there was suddenly a lot of government money, there was JobKeeper money, there was the Public Interest News Gathering Fund, all of those things. Um, so we now sort of pivot to to you know what we see as happening next with what's now called the View Media Group, which we talked about a week or two back that Seven's taking a stake in, and for the first time they're they're, they're revealing the detail and they're saying Seven's stake will be about twenty percent. Um, so this is something that we'll see taking on maybe head to head, but certainly kind of in the you know somewhere on the same Venn diagram domain and rea media um domain being aligned to nine and rea being aligned to news corp so we're seeing the detail um what's not not talked about here but i'm intrigued by is i still think it will go beyond real estate um you know if it works if it works in real estate then you could see the appetite to then become a regional player in automotive advertising in jobs all of those things so for me that's uh, that's the other part of the picture that hasn't yet emerged so of course the article uh, as you've sort of mentioned breaks down that uh seven taking 20 percent uh wastelets and catalano will, will hold around 40 percent and that of course leaves bits for uh, other businesses uh, or owners of other businesses who, who they uh, take in into the fold, which could be interesting and could lead 
to what you're saying there, Tim, and you know, little uh, plays in other areas as well. But uh, an interesting quote uh, here within the piece from from Catalano being that uh, he says, the pie is so big we're not setting up as a competitor to REA or Domain. Uh, now, despite <laughs> that, if you are REA or sure. Domain, yeah, <laughs> you've got to be looking over your shoulder, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, look, I, I imagine if he had any non-competes, they will have long expired. Um, and 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 in fairness, um, you know, I think I think where you know Catalano's vision is is the media part of uh, the real estate industry is a relatively small slice. So he wants other slices through services. So yes, he's saying he's got a bigger vision and fair enough, but you know, domain have started making noises like that too. So, um, so yeah, of course they're going to compete. Well, that is it for today. We would love to hear what you think of everything we've been talking about at letters at unmade.media. That's letters at unmade.media. I'll be back tomorrow with Choose Data, tackling statistics around the talent shortage in digital advertising. Don't forget, if you want to support Unmade, you can become a paying member. Go to unmade.media to find out how. Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. See you next time. Toodle pep. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.